today, if you have been a Christian for any time, any length of time pretty much, or you've been in the church at all, you've probably grown up hearing some things about money teachings from the Bible. Even if you're an unbeliever and don't know about this whole Christ thing and, and Christian thing and all of that, you too have probably heard some of these things about money. Let's read off a few of them and see if any of them come to your mind. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Familiar to you? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Bet most of us have heard that one, right? The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Heard that one a lot in the church. Give and it will be given unto you. Yeah, that's pretty familiar. At least it is to me. I don't know. Y'all can let me know in the chat. If it's familiar to you, I'd love to hear from you. Or which one might be the most familiar to us? Drop it in the chat here. So you've probably heard some of these things, and you may not be aware of some amazing statistics when it comes to the Bible and its teaching about money. Did you know that the Bible contains more than 2,350 verses pertaining to money? That's twice as much as prayer and faith combined. That's just a crazy number, right? 15% of everything that Jesus spoke was about money. In fact, 16 out of 38 of his parables that he told were about money. You know, the only subject he taught about more than money was the kingdom of God. And so, folks, as we come into this, we want to ask that question. Why does money matter? Why does money matter? Why is it so important to the scriptures and to, to Jesus and to God? Why should it be important to us? It's because there's this inherent connection between our spiritual life, our attitudes and actions concerning money and possessions. And again, today's message isn't going to be one of those that's talking about giving you tips on budgeting or telling you how much you should be giving to the church or how much you should save and put away for retirement or anything like that. Really and truly, today's word is going to be about making sure that we start off on the right foot, have the right foundation, the right wisdom to guide you and to guide me in our financial principles. See, because the truth is the Bible has a lot of biblical wisdom, and I've linked a, a, a document down below in the description on, on our YouTube channel here or in Facebook, whichever you you find it, that links to a document that has a lot of scriptures and a lot of things you can read very easily on your own that will teach you a lot of those things about what the Bible teaches on money management. A lot of those things I'm not going to go into today. But I did want to make sure I did express this, that if you want a real course on handling your money biblically, properly, then we do and can offer the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Course. And if that's something you're interested in, drop us a comment in the chat or shoot me an email, let me know. And if we have enough people that want to do it, then, hey, we might offer that digitally down the road. So we're here to serve. We're here to help you and help you to grow in your wisdom 
as far as the Bible goes, as far as following God, we want to walk with you in your walk and help you make some good choices in your life. But this is all why I'm calling. All right, Brown, I appreciate that. <laughs> this is why I'm calling today's message, Money Matters, the Bible's Do's and Don'ts About Money. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting a list of do's and don'ts. Like It's like having pros and cons. If I have pros and cons and I feel like I can make a good decision, I feel like I can be on the right path. And so the first thing I want to start out with is you need to, or let's say, do set your priorities. I want to begin with this idea to, to keep first things first because it's about keeping our foundation strong. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who built his house on the rock. Now, how do you build a house? You, you build a very strong foundation for it because it's going to support all the weight of the house above. So you really want that foundation to be on rock. Today we use cement or we use brick or some kind of cement and brick mix today. Some kind of stones, right? Because we want to make sure the foundation stays strong and level and doesn't sway one way or the other. And then the wisest and richest man in the Bible, King Solomon himself, said in Proverbs 15, 6, said, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. I want you to see this as a before or a cause and effect kind of statement here. Because in the righteous man's house is treasure. In the wicked man's house is, or in the, the wicked seeks, excuse me, <laughs> trouble befalls the, home, the income of the wicked. Got the income before the wicked, got the righteous, got treasure after the righteous. This isn't teaching a prosperity idea that if I do right, then I'm going to be rich. I'm not going to teach you that. But my hope in this is that you understand that if we keep our first things first, keep our, our hearts headed toward the right direction, following God, obeying God, then we can manage our income well. Those two are tied together very closely, as we saw in our first statement. But my hope is, as John writes to his friend in, in uh, 3 John verse 2, says, Beloved, speaking to Gaius, he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Some transcriptions say that you may prosper and that you may be in good health and as it goes with your well. You see, the word here for go well trans, uh, can be, uh, excuse me, is translated from the idea of prosper. We don't like to say prosper a lot of times in the church because we think about that idea of prosperity meaning financial gain or, or being rich or something like that or the idea that if I do something, I'm going to be blessed because I did the right thing. And while that is a very good principle, you may be blessed in some ways. It does not always mean that it would be a material gain or a financial gain. But the idea here is that you prosper or progress being another word you can translate there, in the way that you're living, that you improve, that everything is going well with you. The goal of our series then would be to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And again, wealthy does not always mean financially rich, as we might say. So the idea is that you would prosper, that you would have good health, and that you would be spiritually wise. 
So notice the order of the proverb. It is with the righteous that treasure comes. You see, if you if you seek treasure, whether it be money or whether it be any kind of provision of God through deceitful means, as the wicked would, then you would have trouble. And so I want us to look at mostly Matthew chapter 6, where we, we have sort of the, the middle chapter there of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, all these main teachings of Jesus that you may be familiar with, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you probably heard a lot of them. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34 to begin with. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Whew. Now, we could go very deep all through this verse here and just have a full sermon on nothing but this, and I could still keep you on here for an hour plus. We'll try not to do that today, but we'll see. But in this section of his teaching, which is headed in many of our Bibles, if you've got one that has the, the headings in it, do not be anxious. And you notice he speaks of not being anxious about our life, our eating, our drinking, our body, or our clothing. And the truth is, a lot of us are anxious about those things, right? He says the Father knows that we need these things. And then I love that that 633 is my favorite verse. It's my own life verse. If we seek the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things that we're anxious about will be taken care of. But notice again, it's first things first. You seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And then the other things will take be taken care of. But if you notice, in general, he's he's looking at all these things and he's pointing out and these are the things that we tell ourselves if I had enough money I could have all these things taken care of. I'd be able to buy my own clothes or new clothes. I'd be able to eat whatever food I want or better food. I'd have a better home. I don't need God because I can provide for myself. Therefore, if I have enough money I can take these things on myself. And I couldn't help but think many of us find ourselves wrestling with answering God's call or to ministry or to another job or to another state because we fear not having enough. The idea here is like if, if we answer God's call to, to go and do what he says, then he may not answer ours, right? Friends, if he calls you to it, he's going to call you through it. And I hate to use a cliche, but that's, that's the truth. 
And his word says that if we seek his righteousness, meaning we obey him and we seek his kingdom, meaning we put ourselves to work for his kingdom, he will provide the things that we need. This whole statement is about provision. It is that God provides. For many of us, or for all of us, let me say that, God gives us our ability to work and to make an income for many of us, that we can we can kind of you know these things cover our, our work and our, our income covers these things fairly well. And then there are times where He may show up miraculously, giving us things, money, provision, whatever, out of the blue, just to bless us from someone else. But most of the time, He gives us these things by the gifting of us talents and abilities and skills that we are to put to work for him and for his purpose and for the kingdom. That's how he has provided for us. That's how he does provide for us most of the time. But we can get to this point where if I had a little more, we all just want a little more, right? I want a little more. You want a little more, no doubt. We all feel like if I had a little more, I would just be a little more comfortable, have it a little better made. And the truth is, some of us actually, we lack the little more because we don't have proper money management to begin with. We've gone in debt. We bought things that we thought we absolutely needed whenever he's actually already given us a way to obtain it, probably, if we manage what he's given us to begin with properly. And so we desire a little more money. A little more money equals a little more security, right? a little more comfort, a little more safety, a little more breathing room, you might say. Again, some of us may have more than enough already, yet we still seek more than we already have. More is not a, a dead set spot on the, the target range, right? It all depends on where you're at on that graph, as that, where that more is. And most of the time when we, we have obtained more, we just up our standard of living to where more is now not enough, we need more again. And so that's where we can get it wrong and we can find ourselves falling into this trap of being like the wicked in the Proverbs, seeking income through wrong means or seeking money and, and provision through the wrong ways. But I want to want to see if we are finding our security in, in our money and not in our Lord, then we're headed toward bigger problems in our life. Jesus says for us here in this text is, do not be overly concerned or anxious about these things. His desire is that we trust him by seeking him first. And then the way the two are interconnected, therefore, seeking him first, we will do the right things to take care of and, and handle and steward our money and our income properly. But I want you to notice a few verses before this whole do not be anxious section. He teaches us about our focus. The idea of focusing on the earthly things or focusing on the, the heavenly or the kingdom things. Do lay up treasures in heaven, he says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there also your heart will be 
again, I was kind of talking about this the other night, Tuesday night on my Bible study on, on Twitch, and thinking about this idea, you know, the, the moth and rust are attacking, and we've had personal experience of these things. I've got a rusty car out there in the garage. So the, the moth and rust are attacking the, the temporal things. Everything that we see here on this earth, for the most part, is temporal. It's not going to last. It's going to fall apart. It's going to break. It's going to tear up. So he says for us to set our hearts, set our treasure on the things of above. That means doing good works and deeds down here that will give us treasure in heaven, in the kingdom to come. Also doing the kingdom work here on the earth. Where is our focus? He wants us to be focused on first things first. See, too often, we, 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 even though we know, it seems like everybody knows this life is temporary. Whether you believe in an afterlife or not, we know that we're not here forever. Yet we find ourselves trying to build a kingdom or build our own kingdom here on the earth. You know that that comfy, got everything I could ever wish for, have in the world kind of kingdom. You know, the one that doesn't exist, right? But yet we're all striving to get there to some degree. He says that we are to seek his kingdom first. And then even in the prayer that he taught us, the Lord's Prayer, he says for us to pray to God saying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, our focus is to be on the kingdom and the working of the kingdom here on the earth as he has gifted us and given us talents and skills to put to work to make it happen and maybe bless us with financial means to make it happen. And that brings us to the next thing. Do give generously. And I know some people don't like for us to talk about, talk about giving in the church, and we'll hit that in a minute. But what we have to understand is you and I as Christ followers are his hands and feet here on the earth. We are given tasks to do that are to focus on the kingdom using what we have and can do as workers of his kingdom here on the earth. And this does include giving. This includes our financial means. It means putting our money where our heart is, putting our time and our efforts where our heart is. That's where our treasure is found. So if I want to get better at something, if I want to gain a new skill or I want to win something or, or build something, then I'm generally going to put all my effort, my money, my time, my, my energy, my mind, my heart, everything into that one thing so that I can get better, so that I can make whatever it is I'm trying to do improve or, or build or whatever. It's the same thing with our heart. That's what he's saying. Is our heart fully focused on, fully invested in kingdom work and storing up treasures, not for ourselves, but for the kingdom? Matthew 6 says, whenever you give, don't give seeking credit. Because thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Don't make a big scene whenever you make a gift to somebody or whenever you do some, something good for somebody. 
Let it be between you and the Lord. You don't need recognition. You don't need praise because you gave money to something. You should do it out of the goodness of your heart, not for human recognition. God receives glory whether some human worship or some human praises you because of what they see or not. He gets glory out of seeing us himself do good. Do give generously. Luke 6:38. Jesus said, "Give and it will be given to you." Good measure pressed press down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, this isn't, again, saying that just because you give financially or because you give time that you're going to receive the exact same thing back. He does say that he will give back to you the same way you gave in your measured way. So did you give generously? Did you give above and beyond? Did you, did you put all your heart and effort into it? Or did you just give because you were supposed to give? Did you just do something out of obligation? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, friends, Jesus said for us to give generously. Giving out of obligation isn't generosity. There's no generosity in giving because you're supposed to give. It's keeping the law. That's where some churches get off. I don't teach that we are to give a tithe because it will do us any good. Because God's law demands that we give a tithe. Scripture says we are to give as we have decided in our heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to be generous giving people. Generosity should actually probably, I'm going to say, go beyond just the 10% to begin with. Shouldn't it be something we're tracking? Most likely. It should be something that we just do automatically because we love the Lord and because we love his people and because we want to see his kingdom come about, not because we want to check off a law. Not because we want to check off a command and say, yep, I've done that one. Because then he might throw up the other 613 or so and say, well, what about these? If you're trusting in this one, you're trusting in keeping all of them. We are saved from the law. We don't keep the law to save us. We trust in Christ. We obey the, the law. We try to do things to, to, to live righteous, to live holy, out of a reaction and a response of our faith in God. Because we want to bring him honor and glory and praise by how we live. And we want our lives to be an example to others to draw them into Christ themselves. Not to throw some kind of yoke of, oh, you got to give on their back. We do these things. We do these works of righteousness and holiness and kingdom building for his glory. For his purpose. For his kingdom to happen here on the earth. Not for our own praise either. We're to be living for and working toward God's kingdom while we're here on the earth. That's where our treasure should be. <clears throat> we give to bless others and to further the work of the kingdom. We don't give because we're supposed to give. That's not generosity. 
generosity comes from the heart and it comes from a heart that is set in the right place with the first priority being first and that is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness then our hearts have changed and they want to give it wants to see other things and other people do well and then we also are to or we shall do be content <laughs> kind of hard to say do be content you see, chasing riches and not the kingdom leads us to not trust or to be satisfied with what the Lord has already given us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, when we we're not content with God's gifts, his provision for us, we begin to find ourselves being pulled into fleshly desires, making us slaves to the flesh again. See, we either serve the, the flesh or we serve the Lord. We either serve money and what it can bring us or we serve the Lord and what he wants us to do with the money. I'm reminded of the, the Exodus example here. You're not familiar with the word and familiar with Exodus. God's people, the Jews, had been under slavery for 400 years to the Egyptians. And he called Moses out of nowhere and he calls Moses to go and to rescue his people. And, and Moses goes into a bunch of events and everything we're not going to get into. He ends up getting the people freed, but he has to lead them across and into the wilderness. See, sometimes the wilderness can represent the unknown. It can be that place or that change that God is calling us to or, or that you may have already been called to and you're wondering or you're anxious about these provisions we spoke of earlier about the body, the food, and the clothing. If we go into the wilderness, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's up ahead. We don't know what he's going to provide for us. We don't know how we're going to live. No doubt the Israelites were were fearful of that because whenever they got to the to the Red Sea to begin with, before the parting of the sea, they already started complaining to Moses, Oh no, you brought us out here to die. Why didn't you just leave us back there in the, the slavery where we had it made? At least we were alive. But once they got them across the, the, the waters there and all, through the dry land and got them to the other side of the sea, by the works of God, they got to see this happen. While they were in the wilderness, God continued to provide for them food from heaven called manna. He provided water for them from the rocks. He gave them clothes that did not wear out. And he helped them to escape from Egypt and to no longer be slaves. But you know what they did? They complained the entire way. They grew discontent with what he had already given. <clears throat> they grew discontent with what he had already given. And they began to look back at their lives, even as slaves, and, and yearn to, to be back there again because we had it so much easier. We had all we wanted. We had safety. We had security. We knew where our food was coming from. We knew where our clothes were coming from. We knew where our next drink was coming from. We had shelter. We weren't out here in the wilderness wondering where our next meal was going to come from. See, often our current life situation can be that prison, that slavery that God is calling us out from, but we're too comfortable, too safe to be willing to step out and answer his call because we don't know where the next thing is coming. 
Maybe you find yourself between two jobs and you're not sure which way to go. Or maybe you're between a career where you make a really good living and a calling and you're, you're afraid to go over here because you got it safe and secure over here. Or maybe spiritually you're having it rough and, and wondering about turning back to the old life because this Jesus thing hasn't worked out as somebody told you. Somebody said that he would take care of all your problems and that you thought that everything would go away and that the, the baggage would be gone and, and that, that you'd have it made now once you trusted in Christ. So you're wondering, since that hasn't worked out yet, then maybe I ought to go back over there. And this too reminds me of the story of, of Lot and his wife and the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which God rescued Lot and his wife out from this wicked and, and evil place before he destroyed it, showed them his grace and mercy by drawing them out to give them freedom, to give them opportunity to life on the other side of the wilderness they had to go through. And as they were leaving the place, the wife turns around and she looks back because she's too concerned about what she was leaving and not worried about what was coming ahead. Her focus wasn't on where God was leading her. It was Her focus was on what he was causing her to leave behind. And so we know she turned into a pillar of salt for looking back. So don't look back. Don't be seduced into thinking that life under slavery is better than the life that the Lord is leading you to. He's leading you to freedom. He's leading us from slavery. Don't serve money over God. Ask yourself, am I trusting God or am I trusting my bank account? See, that was, a, that was the moral of the story today we watched with the children was the man was building up barns because he was continually making more and more grain. And he thought that the more that he could save, the better his life would be in the end. Finding that security and that safety, trust putting his trust in the money instead of in the God who created him to make the money to begin with, who created the, the seed that he's putting into the ground and caused it to produce fruit that was making him have money and making him have, have more bar, be able to build more barns, to store more, store more in. See, if we're trusting money and we're not trusting God, then we're in sin. We're sinning. We are putting our money up as an idol in our lives. If we our finding our faith and our trust and our hope in saving our money or in making more money. We're trusting it instead of trusting that the Lord who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and who says himself says everything that moves in this field is mine, says the Lord. And he will give freely to us what we need if we will seek the kingdom first. And Paul's words to Timothy here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Remember how I said earlier to, to keep things, to keep first things first? See, again, we don't come to God and, and think that he'll make us rich. The proverb said, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. The righteousness is first. 
It isn't because of the results. It's first because it's the life that seeks after the kingdom first that is righteous. And treasure, again, doesn't always mean financial blessings. But Paul is writing here to Timothy about those who are seeking godliness for reasons or for purposes of getting rich. You know some of those? You know some stories of people that are appearing to be righteous or appearing to be workers of God to get rich off of it? Yeah, the truth is, that's why a lot of people don't give to church. That's why a lot of people don't give to other nonprofits, because we've all seen those stories on the news where the one that was standing up as the righteous and holy one was really the one taking money out the back door, seeking to get rich. Because those are the people that have decided to serve the God of money instead of the God of creation under the guise of serving him. So Paul instructs Timothy, he says that we should be godly and content. And he warns that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, and that temptation leads to destruction. This is why gambling in the lottery is so bad, so it's such a danger to, to many of us, because it feeds on the, the appetite to have more, to be rich, to get it easily, we would say to be secure by financial gain. How many of you have, have dreamt about winning the lottery or winning some big summary so that you don't have to worry about your bills? So you don't have to worry about anything in the future because you're finding your, your trust and your faith in the possibility of that financial gain. And so Paul adds that famous line, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Notice this A, it's not the, it is a root. There's different roots of evil, trust me. <laughs> it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's a scary verse right there. The love of money has caused many to wander from the faith and to pierce themselves with many pangs. If you don't know what a pang is, it's a pain, distress, or a woe what the word stands for. Nothing good, right? Horrible. It's not bad enough that you walk away from your faith, but also that you'd you know, suffer some kind of physical, some kind of other worldly problem because of your love of money. And see, there's nothing wrong with being rich whenever it is honestly gained, whenever it is a, a working and a using the gifts and, and talents and skills that he's given you, and you because of your work, as you're working for the Lord, as we're supposed to be doing, you receive the blessing of being paid rightly for the work that you're doing. The problem is whenever we're striving to gain riches unwisely, seeking it for our own purpose or for our own use and for our own comfort and provision, that's when it becomes wrongful and sinful. Again, if God decides to bless you because of the work, because of the work that you're doing with his talents, and the skills and abilities that he's given you, then by all means, take what he gives. You also have a responsibility to be generous with it again. Let me remind you of that. James actually speaks on that, and I don't have that verse on the screen. I don't have that verse in my notes. But we, we are to work to be faithful, not to be rich. We're to put forth all the gifts and abilities that he's given us. That's the story of the talents where he gives the one ten, he gives the one five, and he gives the, he gives the other one one. The one with ten goes out and he 
works and he doubles his money. The one with five goes out and he works and he doubles his money. The one with one decided not to put to work his gifts, talents, and abilities, but instead buried his. And there was no good words and kind words that Christ gave him. He was wicked as far as Christ was concerned. So we are to put to use our gifts, talents, and abilities for his purposes. And we're to do it faithfully. And then if he decides to give us more because of that, then that's what he decides to give. If we can't handle, and this is the truth, though, but, some, but let us remember, sometimes a good father will withhold the perceived blessing to protect us from an unknown fault. See, maybe he's not giving you the more that you want because he knows the more that he gives you, the more trouble you may find in your life. It may bring in those temptations that you're not having to face right now because you don't have the money for it. And so if we can't handle money properly, if we can't handle what he's already given us, if we can't, if we can't steward it well, then he's probably not going to give us something that's going to cause us harm, right? A good father, the Bible says, will not give a snake for one that seeks a, a piece of bread or, or forget the actual text right off. He will give us what is good for us. And only that. Matthew 25, 23, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Those are words a lot of times we, we look at and we repeat those about that's what we want to hear at the end of our life. But this is the text from the, the story of the talent, from the parable of the talents. This is what he said to those that put those, those talents to work, those gifts and abilities, and multiplied what he had given them. Because of their work, to honor the giver. Not to get rich, not to just get more than they already had, but to be faithful in what he had already given them. So I want to remind you all, check your heart. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Where's your, where do you find your sense of security? Where do you find your, your sense of comfort? Is it in the size of your bank account? Or is it in the Lord who owns all the cattle on the thousand hills? This goes for you too if you haven't already found your faith in Christ. You got to get that foundation right. He is our foundation. It all starts whenever we decide to place our faith and hope and trust in him because we realize we can't do it on our own. We can't be righteous on our own. We can't obey the law and be saved by the law. The only hope any of us have is through Jesus Christ because he was the only one that fulfilled the law fully and completely. And yet he still went to the cross and suffered God's wrath for you and I. He allowed our sins to be put upon him. So that then God would accept us by giving us his righteousness when we place our faith in him. And then he raised him three days later from the grave to show that he had power over death in the grave. Friends, that's where our foundation should be to begin with. 
We are to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, God's righteousness, the righteousness that he gives us through Jesus Christ alone. So it's my hope and prayer that you yourself have already made that confession of faith in him. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you once again for your provision, for your giving, for blessing us with the opportunity, the ability to provide what we need, but we know that provision comes directly from you and that we are just to be faithful with what you have given us. Father God, I pray that you help each one of us to, to use what you have given us for your honor, your purpose, and your glory as we seek the kingdom first. We seek your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that covers us whenever we come to faith in him. Father, I pray your blessing upon everyone that listens to us. I pray that you speak to those hearts that still need you, that you draw them to you to have that right relationship with you. And may we do all we can to honor and glorify you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.